We now come to questions to Prime Minister Tim Lawton. Mr Speaker, the UK will continue to work to end the bloodshed in Sudan and support a democratic government. We have begun a large-scale evacuation of British nationals, and I pay tribute to all those carrying out this complex operation. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Speaker, yesterday the opposition grabbed a crude headline about teaching boys to have respect for women, an important issue I'm sure the Prime Minister will agree. But given that the Leader of the Opposition apparently doesn't know what a woman is, that he won't stand up to defend women in his own party, voicing views on women's rights, and according to his own front bench, failed to prosecute rapists when he was in charge as DPP. Does my right honourable friend think that the Labour Party are in any position to teach anyone about respect for women? And is the irony dead? I'm going to bring the process in, but in fairness, is a responsibility for the answer to the opposition, but Prime Minister. Uh, Mr. Mr. Speaker, my, uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right. Uh, the, leader of the, the, the leader of the opposition's record on women is questionable at best, Mr. Speaker. And before, and before Labour do start preaching about this issue, they should work out the answer to one very simple question. I'm certain what a woman is. Is he? We now come to the leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the brave British personnel involved in the evacuation effort from Sudan? The Government must do everything in its power to urgently evacuate UK nationals still trapped in Sudan. Mr Speaker, yesterday George Osborne said that the Tory party's handling of the economy makes them vandals. He's right, isn't he? Mr Speaker, while we're in the business of quoting former chancellors and shadow chancellors, I don't know if he saw the remarks from a a former Labour shadow chancellor yesterday who said our country had faced four once-in-a-century shocks, threats to our economy, and the fact that we've come through it is a triumph, Mr Speaker. Well, that former Chancellor not only said there were a bunch of Tory vandals, he also said there was a self-induced financial crisis on the country. That's those vandals. And they like to pretend that it was all just one week of madness last autumn. But the truth is, it's been 13 years of failure. Real wages, the money in people's pockets, have fallen by £1,600 per household. £1,600. The Prime Minister's response to impose 24 Tory tax rises in three years. 24. How on earth does he think his low-growth, high-tax economy is working for working people? Mr Mr. Speaker, because of the action that we've taken on the national living wage at record levels, on pension, on universal credit, and the generous cost of living payments. Just yesterday, Mr Speaker, almost 8 million households receiving direct support from this this Conservative government. We are supporting working people. But just this week, Mr Speaker, in the other place, we've seen his party side with protesters and with picketers. He should actually try backing working people. 
lost £1,600 worse off. Mr Speaker, I'm genuinely fascinated to know, does he really think that everything's fine, or is he just clueless about life outside of his bubble? Mr Speaker, because... Because of the actions that we have taken, well, let's just go over it. A single mother, a single mother working full time on the national living wage, this year will get £1,300 more support from this government. A working couple on low income with two children will get £1,800, Mr. Speaker. That's what delivering for working Britain looks like. But if he has any actual ideas for the economy, he should say so. Because all I hear from the party opposite, it's more spending, more borrowing, higher inflation, higher interest rates. It's the same old Labour Party. This is Mr 24 tax rises. And I've never heard anything so out of touch as the answer that he has just given. And it's not just his refusal to take any responsibility for the damage they've done, the crashed economy, the hit to living standards. It's also he refuses to take the action that's needed. He could stop the handouts he's giving to oil and gas giants. He could scrap his beloved non-DOM status. He could put that money back in the hands of working people and get the NHS back on its feet. That's what a Labour government would do. Why doesn't he? Mr. Mr. Speaker, the record is clear. Look at it right now. Record, record numbers of people in work, Mr. Speaker. Record numbers of people in work. Inequality no, lower. The number of people in poverty lower. Those in low pay, the lowest numbers on record, Mr. Speaker. He talks about this London thing. I think he's already spent the money that he claims he's raised on five different things, Mr. Speaker, because it's the same old Labour Party. They're always running out of other people's money. Mr. Speaker. Oh, 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 no. I had enough last week. I'm certainly not having this continuous noise. So just be aware that somebody will be going for that cup of tea today. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, he calls it this non dom thing. Let's be, let's be honest about what his refusal to scrap the non dom status means. It means that at every possible opportunity he has voted to put taxes up on working people, while at the same time taking every possible opportunity to protect a tax avoidance scheme that helped his own finances. Why is the Prime Minister telling people across the country that their taxes must go up so that his can stay low? Mr Speaker, the fact of these, the very wealthiest pay more tax and the poorest pay less tax under that today than an un, under any year of the last Labour government, Mr Speaker. We've also boosted the national living wage, boosted universal credit and pensioners. But Mr Speaker, the rank hypocrisy of it, as we saw, as we saw last week, when it comes to his own special pension scheme. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. It's, it's literally one law for him and a tax rise for everybody else. Mr Speaker, 
here's the difference. I'd scrap his pension giveaway, whether it affected me or not. Yeah. He, refuses, he refuses to scrap the non-DOM status that benefits him and his family. Yeah. This, I can see why he's attracted to this non-DOM thing. Yeah. This Prime Minister is so removed from the country that he boasted that he didn't know a single working-class person. Yeah. So insulated from reality that he proudly told a Tory garden party how he'd moved money from poorer areas and handed it to rich ones. So out of touch that he looks at a petrol pump and a debit card like they've just arrived from Mars. Is it any wonder that he smiles his way through the cost of living crisis while putting other people's taxes up? Is it any wonder he doesn't have a clue how food prices are hammering families across the country? And is it any wonder that under him people are paying more and more and getting less and less? Yeah! M- M- Mr. Mr. Speaker, let's just we'll just look at what's happened just in this just in this week, Mr. Speaker, where the Labour Party have put themselves. On Monday, in the other place, they decided to side with extremist protesters. Just yesterday, they sided with polluters, Mr. Speaker. And tonight. And tonight, and tonight, and, to, and tonight, and tonight, we will see them siding with the people smugglers, Mr. Speaker. I tell you this: whilst we're in the business of sending back the 1,000th illegal migrant from Albania, Mr. Speaker, we're delivering cost of living payments to millions of households just yesterday and today. We've announced we put 20,000 more police officers on the street, Mr. Speaker. We're siding with the British people, Mr. Speaker. That's what the Conservative government does. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Sixty years ago, Goulburn Urban District Council wrote to the government about the urgent need for a bypass for my constituency of Lee. Forty years ago, the central section of that bypass, the Adderley Way, was constructed. But to this day, the bypass remains unfinished, leading to daily gridlock in some areas of the community. Will the Prime Minister support my proposals to complete the Adderley Way, and will he meet with me to discuss this further so we can get Lee moving again? Mr Mr. Speaker, I commend my honourable friends campaigning on this issue, and I know there have been a number of proposals for road improvements in his area. Uh, He will know that it is for the local highways authorities to develop those plans, but I know a meeting is planned in June to move proposals forward, and I know he will take his energy and enthusiasm for his campaign to that meeting, and I wish him well. We come to SNP spokesperson, Stephen Flint, leader. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I, ask the Prime, can I ask the Prime Minister to outline the safe and legal route available to a child refugee seeking to flee Sudan and come to the United Kingdom? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mr. Prime Speaker, Minister. as I outlined earlier, our priority in Sudan, first and foremost, was to evacuate our diplomats and their families, which I'm very pleased. We were one of the first countries to be able to do, Mr. Speaker. And since yesterday, we've been conducting a large-scale evacuation of British nationals. We have some of the largest numbers of British nationals on the ground, and rightly, and I'm sure the whole House will agree with me, that it is reasonable, legal and fair 
to prioritise those most vulnerable families, particularly those with elderly people in them, medical conditions, but also children, Mr Speaker. That's what we're in the process of doing, and I pay tribute to all those who are making it possible. Leader of the SNP. Mr Speaker, to be clear, and I think everyone in the House is aware of this, children in Sudan are already dying. Now, whether it's a Tory slogan to stop the boats or a Labour slogan to stop small boats, we need some more humanity in this yeah, debate, yeah, yeah. rather than the race to the bottom, which we see here today. So can I ask the Prime Minister, now that he has confirmed that there is no safe and legal route, will he therefore confirm that it would be his government's intention to detain and deport a child refugee who flees Sudan and comes to the United Kingdom? Mr Speaker, in fact, because of the efforts of our aid teams, we have invested almost £250 million in humanitarian support in Sudan over the past five years. Mr Speaker, the honourable gentleman does it always, but actually this country has a proud record of compassionately supporting those who need our assistance. Just over the last few years, we have welcomed almost half a million vulnerable people to our country, including many children. And it's that compassion that we want to make sure we continue, Mr Speaker, which is why it's precisely right that we make sure that our system is not exploited by those coming here illegally. And that's what our bill will deliver. Dr Luke Evans. Mr Speaker, the Lib Dem-run Hinckley and Bosworth Borough Council don't have an up-to-date local plan. So that every day that goes past, we have speculative housing applications that put pressure on the infrastructure like GP surgery, schools and roads. Now, locally, the Lib Dems say it's the 300,000 housing target the government has. Yet the Lib Dems have a target of 380,000 houses now. So will the Prime Minister change the law to ensure that communities like Burbage, Barwell, Markfield and Market Bosworth get the infrastructure and protection they need for the houses that we need? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is right to point out the hypocrisy of the local Liberal Democrats on this issue. Um, and, he's, and he's right to highlight this issue locally, because the new infrastructure levy does give local areas the power to deliver the local infrastructure that he supports and wants for his area. But also, he's absolutely right to point out the importance of a local plan because it is precisely that having a local plan is what gives communities the power to ensure that development in their area is happening in the way that they want it to, and the Council is failing in its duty to do that for its communities by not putting forward that local plan. Roberts. Incredibly, any traveller wanting to go by train from north to south Wales has to go via England. Linking Wales north to south would cost £2 billion. Now, the PM talks about running away with other people's money. But his government is depriving Wales to the tune of £6 billion by ruling that north-south England rail links like HS2 somehow benefit Wales. Will he plead guilty to the great Welsh train robbery? Mr Mr. Speaker, as the Honourable Lady knows how transport matters are handled in in Wales, and what I would say to her is that we do always want to work cooperatively with the Welsh Government to see where we can deliver jointly for people in Wales. We're actually investing record sums in communities up and down down Wales through the Leveling Up Fund and the Community Ownership Fund. We're happy to continue those conversations. Many of those are transportation projects, and I think hopefully she will join me in saying what the people of Wales do not need is the Labour uh, Welsh Government's plan to ban all building of new roads. Harriet Baldwin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister back our local plans to reopen our much-loved Malvern Hills College? And does he agree that Warwickshire College Group should negotiate the sale in good faith 
and not resort to using public money to sue our district council. Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for raising this issue. I, of course, recognise the valuable work that all colleges uh, do in meeting local skills need, and very much welcome local community groups working together to address, address gaps in the way that her local area is doing. Uh, my understanding is that my right honourable friend, the Education Secretary, is in discussion with the college, and I know that my honourable friend will continue making representations to her. Fabian Hamilton. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, my constituent, Ian Greenwood, tragically lost his 12-year-old daughter in a road traffic collision that should never have happened. Ian's now campaigning for Leeds Vision Zero, which aims to end road deaths and serious injuries by 2040. We really have to make our roads much safer. So, will the Prime Minister commit? to giving local authorities sufficient funding in order to ensure that these vehicle collisions can never take a young life again. Well, Mr Speaker, I'm incredibly sorry to hear about the tragic loss of Ian's daughter. Of course, we should do everything we can to improve road safety. I know actually at the moment that we are doing an enormous amount and the statistics show that it's improving, but we're always happy to look at where we can do more. And I know the Transport Secretary will look into the suggestions raised by the Honourable Gentleman. Roberts. Mr. Speaker, the village of Northop Hall in my constituency has about a thousand residents. Last year, Northop Hall Hotel on the edge of the village was bought, and there are now proposals to house 400 single male migrants in the building and in shipping containers stacked around the grounds. The village has one small shop, no transport links, and a health board in complete meltdown. Can the Prime Minister facilitate a meeting for myself and some local residents with the Home Secretary to hear the concerns of the local residents who are worried that the Government just isn't listening to them? Mr Mr. Speaker, the uh, the Honourable Gentleman raises exactly why we need to take action, because it's not right that our local hotels and all our communities are being used to such a degree to house uh, illegal asylum seekers, not least because it's costing the British taxpayer something like five and a half or six million pounds a day. We want to put an end to that, and that's why we're bringing forward legislation that will enable us to swiftly detain and send back those who should not be here. But I will make sure that he gets a meeting with the Immigration Minister as he needs. Very Trussell Trust figures out today show that their food banks gave out a record number of meals over the past year. It's nearly three million meals, a million of which went to children. Now, the Prime Minister's fortunate. He's a wealthy man. But all these families want to be able to do is to put food on their table, to be able to feed their own children without having to resort to food banks. Does he think that's too much to ask? Well, Mr Mr. Speaker, as I've said previously, we absolutely do want anyone to have to rely uh, on a food bank. But whilst there are people who do use them, I'm very grateful to all of those who volunteer their time to make sure that they are providing their local communities. We've put substantial provision in place, not least uh, infant free school meals and broader free school meals, which are helping almost two million children, but also last year the investment in the holiday activity and food programme, which provides not just food but also activities outside of term time. And we'll continue to do everything we can to help those in low pay, which is why we're raising the national living wage to record levels. And I'm pleased to say that that those uh, living in poverty today is two million lower than when we first came into office. E-cigarettes were introduced as a stop-smoking device, but they're remarkably cheap, brightly coloured vapes with flavours such as unicorn milkshake, a bubble gum and green gummy bear have proved remarkably attractive to children, hooking them on a lifetime of potentially harmful nicotine addiction. Will my honourable friend meet with me 
to talk about how work across government departments can help to stop our children becoming hooked on vapes? And will he back my 10-minute rule bill to ban disposable vapes? Prime Minister. Can I, um, can I commend my honourable friend for her work in this area? I absolutely recognise the concern that she raises, both on the environmental impact of disposable vapes, but also their appeal to children. Uh, DHSE have announced a call for evidence to look at reducing youth vaping, including vape appearance, flavours and marketing. We have also been clear that all electrical waste should be disposed of properly, and DEFRA are looking actively at what changes in legislation might be needed to ensure that the vaping sector foots the bill for the collection and treatment of their used products. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, as we celebrate the lives of Lily Savage and Dame Edna Everidge, Turning Point UK are planning to protest at a drag story time event in my constituency on Saturday for the third time this year. These events are friendly, inclusive opportunities for children to hear a story and learn about equality. Turning Point UK members, by contrast, seek to intimidate our young people. They share misleading images on social media, implying the events are inappropriate. So will the Prime Minister condemn Turning Point UK's attempts to spread hatred and division in my constituency and across the country? Yeah, uh, well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I'm not aware of the uh, specific uh, allegations the Honourable Lady brings to light, but in general, we should treat everybody with respect and understanding and compassion, Mr. Speaker, and people should be allowed to gather and associate freely uh, within the bounds of the law and ensued. But it, w when it comes to children, as we've said, it's important that the material that children are exposed to in classrooms is sensitive and age appropriate, and that's why we're reviewing the RHSE guidance currently. James Morris. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This uh, year marks the 400th anniversary of the publication of Shakespeare's first folio, and his plays are not only a central part of our national culture, but many people around the world see them as a beacon of hope in darkest times. I recently met with Professor Natalia Tokrut, the director of the Shakespeare Institute in Ukraine, who told stories of actors, directors and scholars putting on Shakespeare plays in air raid shelters in Ukraine as an act of defiance against Russian aggression and bombs. So would the Prime Minister agree with me that notwithstanding the sound and fury of domestic politics, that in Shakespeare's works we have a force for freedom in a world often dominated by the brutality and tyranny of oppressive regimes. Uh, can I join my honourable friend in his uh, comments? And, and coincidentally, uh, one of the first gifts that I gave President Zelensky uh, was an old copy of Henry V. And so I think his comments are well made. And that's why we're training and arming the Ukrainian forces with the equipment they need to push back Russian forces. And we know, and I know the whole House will join me in saying, that the people of Ukraine's incredible strength and inspiring bravery will ultimately defeat tyranny. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This month marks 23 years since the passing of the late great Bernie Grant, a former member of this House and the founder of the UK reparations movement in the UK. In his last Prime Minister's questions before his death, he asked for an apology to the people of African descent, living and dead, for our country's role in slavery and colonialism. But since then, Prime Ministers and heads of state have only ever expressed sorrow or deep regret. These are not sentiments that are befitting one of the greatest atrocities in human history. 
and there has been no acknowledgement of the wealth that has been amassed or the fact that our country took out the largest loan it ever has to pay off the slave owners and not the enslaved. So I want to ask the Prime Minister today if he will do what Bernie Grant asked all those years ago, what I have asked and what countless others have asked since, and offer a full and meaningful apology for our country's role in slavery and colonialism and commit to reparatory justice. Focus should now be on doing is, of course, understanding our history in all its parts, not running away from it, uh, but right now making sure that we have a society which is inclusive and tolerant of people from all backgrounds. Uh, that's something that we on this house, our side of the house, are committed to doing and will continue to deliver. But trying to unpick our history is not the right way forward and it's not something that we will focus our energies on. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister will recall his visit to rugby to see our great work in delivering new homes and the new community of Holton, where 1,000 of 6,000 <coughs> homes are now occupied. But regrettably, urgent care services at our local hospital of St. Cross are not keeping pace with this growth. And as a consequence, 80,000 of my constituents now live more than 50 minutes' drive from a major A&E unit. May I therefore invite the Prime Minister to return to rugby to see for himself the need to upgrade our emergency care provision. Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, it's absolutely vital that people can access the NHS services they need, particularly emergency care, and that's why we're investing an extra billion pounds of dedicated funding to support urgent emergency care services. Our honourable friend will know that the specific provision is a matter for local NHS commissioners and providers because plans for those things need to be developed locally and take into account the expanding needs of local populations. And I know that my honourable friend will continue to engage with his local NHS trust to ensure the, cons the views of his constituents and communities are well known and adequately provided for. Angela Kroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister, every day I meet with constituents struggling to make ends meet, food banks barely managing to meet the demands, households and businesses up and down this country struggling to meet their energy bills. Yet the Bank of England has already announced that it is likely to increase interest rates once again, which will affect the poorest most yeah. and hike up mortgage yeah. rates once again. Does the Prime Minister, after 13 years of Conservatives government, agree with the Bank of England's chief economist that the poorest should just accept being poorer? Mr. Mr Speaker, uh, we are doing an enormous amount to support those who most need our help with the cost of living and some of the pressures, particularly on energy bills, that they face. That is why we made a decision to tax the windfall profits of energy companies and use that money to help pay around half of a typical family's energy bill. That is support worth £1,500. It applies across the United Kingdom. And on top of that, there are direct payments going to the most vulnerable families in our society. Just yesterday, the first of those payments was put out, £300, the first of three payments, and that went to one in three households, Mr Speaker, including many in Scotland. And that is our Conservative government delivering for the people of Scotland and making sure they have the help they need to manage some of the pressures that they are facing. Mr Robert Gubbert. In Yorkshire, we say you should judge a person by the company that they keep. So what would be the Prime Minister's view of an individual who can not only bear to spend more than 10 minutes in the presence of Vladimir Putin, but refers to him as a dear friend? Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I think our views on President Putin are well known. 
his illegal war in, in Ukraine has caused untold misery for many people. It's caused a humanitarian crisis uh, and is still ongoing in defiance of international condemnation and sanction. Mr. Speaker. We will do everything we can to bring those uh, responsible for war crimes to justice, continue to support Ukraine militarily and make sure that we can support them all the way to victory. Mr. Speaker. And I know that the whole House is united in wanting that outcome. Sir George Howard. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Given the chronic lack of capacity in the NHS, the Prime Minister will be aware that community pharmacies can help deal with minor illnesses. But there is a problem. On average, 10 pharmacies close every month in England. Will he take urgent action to prevent further closures and commission a properly funded first? Uh, pharmacy first service for minor illnesses. Mr Speaker, a rare agreement between the Honourable Gentleman and myself that I am a wholehearted champion and believer in the role that community pharmacists can play, and uh, we want to make sure that they can can do everything uh, to ease some of the pressures in primary care. It is something that we are actively talking to the sector about. We will always continue to do everything we can to support community pharmacies. I know firsthand how respected they are in their communities, and I think they can do more for us over time. Sarah Atherton. Okay, Mr. Speaker, after a 15-year break, Wrexham Association Football Club is back in the English football. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating everyone at the club, including the loyal supporters and the owners, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney? And does he agree that Wrexham is no longer a neglected place, but quickly becoming a jewel in the crown of the United Kingdom? Yeah. Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, can I uh, join my honourable friend in congratulating everyone? at Wrexham, from the owners to the players to supporters and everyone in the community. It's been an incredible ride. We've all enjoyed watching them, and we wish them every future success, Mr Speaker. And I join with her in saying they are indeed a jewel in the crown, and she deserves enormous credit for championing them in this place. Peter Brown. Thank you, Mr Speaker. After an investigation ordered by the Prime Minister himself, a senior Conservative MP was found guilty of bullying found guilty of behaviour that was persistently aggressive and intimidating. The MP in question then attempted to blame his victims, and a whole string of Conservative MPs queued up to defend him, suggesting that his conduct was not only acceptable but was actually good management practice. What does it say about the Prime Minister's own values that he has done nothing to distance himself from those comments? Mr Speaker, when formal complaints were made, I rightly initiated an independent investigation, and as soon as it reported, uh, action was taken. That's the right thing to do, to follow due process, uh, and then let the process play out, Mr Speaker. But I do think it is is somewhat odd to be getting lectures on values right now from the SNP. That completes Prime Minister's questions. Those please leave. 